Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... The Apostle Paul here is identifying with Job standing on the Word of God that he knows that the Lord has promised, no matter what's going on around us, that he will deliver the righteous. So he says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now his perspective is one of great optimism in what God is doing in the midst of the pressures of his life. What perspective do we usually have in the midst of the pressures of life? Today, Pastor Jim will continue his teaching on the book of Philippians, where Paul experiences optimism and a joyful perspective, even while in jail. How we see things really matters. Our perspective steers our attitudes, our hearts, and our approach to life. We will learn that Paul lived holding on to the values of heaven and not to the values of the culture of this world. And that is what produced joy in his life. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part one of his message entitled, Joyful Perspective. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message. But for now, here's Pastor Jim. Sooner or later, you and I, all of us, will hear these words in regards to something. And somebody will ask you this, what is your perspective? How do you see a situation? How do you see life? maybe a, an accident or something like that. What was your perspective? We all know that perspective matters, right? How we see things really, really matters. It steers our attitudes. You know, if we see things in a positive light, we'll have a positive attitude. Negative, everything will be negative. Our perspective steers our hearts, what we'll give our hearts to and what we won't. Our perspective will determine our approach to life what we'd be willing to give our time to, what we'd be willing to give our money to, what we will invest ourselves in. I just want to read to you something that I, I bet a lot of you have a perspective quote on a lot of your coffee mugs. It goes like this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. For those of you who've been through Alcoholics Anonymous, and many in our congregation have, that is the serenity prayer. And that is from uh, the 1940s, the American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, another thing on perspective, Winston Churchill. If you don't know who Winston Churchill is, you need to brush up on your history. The prime minister, at two different times actually, of the United Kingdom, but more famously his first time uh, during World War II, and he said, a pessimist sees the difficult in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Very telling on how we look at life. Well, if you don't know who Winston Churchill was, you definitely know who Steve Jobs is. <laughs> Steve Jobs was the co-founder of Apple. And he said this, I want to put a ding in the universe. Just set out with a goal to make a difference in the world in which he lived. 
So this letter here, the book of Philippians, the epistle, the letter of St. Paul, if you will, written 2,000 years ago to a church in Philippi, northern Greece, about 30 years after Jesus had died on the cross, uh, about 10 years after the Apostle Paul had started a church there, and he's in jail. Now, technically, the charges were probably were for creating a nuisance, for some sort of a public disturbance, but we know that he's in jail for preaching. Now, from the perspective of the Philippian church, uh, things look bad. Their leader is down. Uh, you might think that the spread of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ is going to be hindered, but we said last week, the Apostle Paul told Timothy that I might be in change, but the gospel is not chained. And maybe you can relate. Maybe things in your life are very, very difficult. Maybe you're down these days. Maybe you're on some sort of a dead-end street, you think. Maybe you feel let down by somebody. Tough. There's people in our congregation couldn't even get out of bed this morning. Maybe you feel like you're going nowhere and you're going there very, very fast. Maybe, as we say around here sometimes, I didn't originate it, but I used to talk about it all at work all the time. Maybe you think if it wasn't for bad luck, you'd have no luck. This morning, the Apostle Paul, who to the Philippian church was also Pastor Paul, a spiritual father to anybody who would call themselves a Christian, comes to us with the title of the message, A Joyful Perspective, in which he identifies himself so heavily in his Christianity, in his knowledge of Jesus Christ, that it seemingly makes everything else not seem so important. And these uh, next two weeks will be particularly challenging for us who live in the American context because it challenges our way of thinking in so many different ways. Before we start, there's a few things I want to remind ourselves of as we look at the Apostle Paul writing from prison. Look back up with me at verse 6. He said, remember, we did a sermon on this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So there he is, he's in jail. They're all worried about the apostle. And he's saying, listen, God's at work. It's okay, I know he's at work. Don't worry. Look at verse eight. He says, for God is my witness how greatly I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful verse. He's saying, I'm sitting in jail and I miss you with the affection of God. I miss you in such a deep and profound way. So you would think that all he would care about would be getting out, but we said that that's not what he cared about. He cared about that the gospel was going forward. Look at verse 12. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, writing to the church, that these things which happened to me, the whole arrest and everything, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And then last week we talked about that some people were actually saying bad things about him. And look what he says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. And the idea is he's going to continue to rejoice, even though it appears, it appears things are not going very well. Well, what was the driving motivation of his life? You'll have to come next week, sorry. You'll have to come next week to hear that. The driving motivation of his life is verse 21, also probably on some of your coffee cups, and we're going to challenge if we really understand what he means by it. And he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So how did he get there? 
How does a guy get to a place in life where he's in jail? Things are going horrible for him. The circumstances are terrible from the outside, yet there is joy inside his heart. He has joy in what God is doing, despite the fact that on the outside, it looks like everything is falling to pieces. How does he get there? And probably for your and my purposes this morning, how do we get there? How can we get there? How do we get to a joyful perspective in times that might be somewhat less than joyful? Well, four things for you note-takers we want to draw our attention to this morning. For those of you who need a little bit of hope, three in verse 19 and one in verse 20. The first is joyful perspective in pressure. Joyful perspective in pressure. Look at verse 19. He says, for I know, and he's saying, I'm sure about this. (laughs) This is a done deal. This one's, the books are closed. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Stop right there. And you might just want to write in the margin of your Bible, Job 13, 16. And what the Apostle Paul is doing there is he is quoting from the Greek version of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures, for Job 13, 16. If you know the story of Job, Job had everything this world had to offer, and he lost it all. And yet, when he comes to chapter 13, he hangs on the promise of God that God will deliver the righteous. And so, in a sense, the Apostle Paul here is identifying with Job, standing on the word of God that he knows that the Lord has promised, no matter what's going on around us, that he will deliver the righteous. So he says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, his perspective is one of great optimism in what God is doing in the midst of the pressures of his life. And please, I know that many of us are under multiple pressures. It's not just one thing. They're just seemingly coming at us from all different angles, and we get eaten alive by it a lot of times, but he doesn't. He says, I'm positive I know that this will result in my deliverance. Is it deliverance from jail or is it deliverance into heaven? I would suggest to you the answer is yes. Why does it have to be either or unless we're told it's either or? Actually, the word deliverance here is the Greek word soteria, which typically has to do with the salvation and the ultimate salvation from the judgment of God for our sins and the wrath of God in judgment. So he's saying, I know that I'm going to be delivered. Why? Because the Bible said I would be. Because the word of God said it. Because God said that he will deliver the righteous. I love the story that Francis Chan tells that when he was in China preaching at the underground church and, you know, he he was telling people stories about, you know, Christianity in America and there was a translator there and So he was telling them that people go to different churches based on the service times. And there was a big roar in the crowd. A couple hundred people there. And uh, maybe even a thousand people there. And and then he said, you know, some people like the children's ministry different in one church than another. And there's a big roar in the crowd. And people saying, you know, uh, (laughs) people like some people's preaching better than others. Big roar in the crowd. So he comes down and he says to his daughter, why were they laughing? I wasn't making jokes. And she's like, I don't know, Dad. And then 
he says that they talked with the translator. Was he accurate? And he goes, yes. So they get this guy over and they go, why laugh? And they go, oh, Pastor Chan, you funny man. People go different church-like service time better. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And he says to the guy, do you guys, as Francis says to him, do you undergo persecution? Do you have persecution here? Do you have trouble because you're Christians? And he goes, what? He goes, do you have persecution? Is life hard for you because you're Christians? He's like, you funny man, Pastor Chan. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, Pastor Chan, it's in the Bible. See, life is supposed to be full of difficulties. Life is supposed to be hard. That's just life in a sinful world. It is difficulty. It is hard. And so these people were hanging on the promise of what? God said it's going to be okay. They were going to be delivered. And, you know, Francis Chan was very convicted of his American way of thinking of things. But without the word of God, the apostle Paul would tell us, we will be eaten alive in this world. Because what? We're going through life with just our culture's way of thinking, whatever that cultural way of thinking is, and not the promises of the word of God. I think that I see this in a problem in a lot of people. I've noticed that most of the Christians that I know Pretty much, there are some you know, situations that are more extreme, but probably 99, 90, 95% of people have basically a similar mix of problems. How we wear them is very differently. And there's a big correlation between the people that are studying the word of God and reading the word of God, because what do they know ultimately deep down? He's gonna deliver me. That God will deliver the righteous. That it's going to be okay. Now, we've seen this before. There's three phases of salvation the Bible talks about. It's someone who has been saved. They've come to trust in God. The second phase, which we're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not there yet. We're glad that you're here. Second phase is being saved. If you are a Christian, you're on your way home. That's the phase that you're in right now. And the last phase is that you will be saved. So what would the Apostle Paul say to us? Remember, he said he's not plastic. He's not phony. What was he saying to us? Listen, It's hard now, but this is just a phase. This is just another step on the journey. This is just another mile marker for me to drive past on my way home to heaven. Now, in an earlier study, we said that Jesus Christ and the gospel were not fit into the apostles' lives. It wasn't like they had their busy schedule and they said, okay, now I have to add God in. No, God was over all of their schedule. They added other things in with an idea of being able to live out their Christianity. And so Jesus Christ and the gospel was the driving force. And interestingly enough, as suffocating as that might sound to us as Americans, it actually produced joy in their lives because they were not holding on to the values of earth. They were holding on to the values of heaven. This allowed them to experience the Christian life in a way so few people do. And as we've said before, the apostles are for us representative disciples. So it is the Lord calling out to us saying, if you want to have joy, this is how you have to think. If you want to have joy, this is how you operate in life. And the Holy Spirit will impart God's joy to you. Yet I think we have to admit that our culture is not this way, is it? Our culture is all about me. Do you notice that in the commercials? 
You notice that in, in all of the marketing that's geared towards you, you have to have this, you have to have this. If you don't have this, you'll be miserable. If you don't have that, you won't be complete. You, you won't be an American. I say all the time, I feel so sorry for you ladies whenever I go to the checkout counter. My goodness, 96,000 magazines of what you are expected by our society to be. I can say this for virtually every man in this room. There's nothing more beautiful than a woman who loves God. There's nothing more beautiful. I tell my wife all the time, there is nothing more beautiful that I can see this side of heaven than to wake up in the morning and to see her with her Bible in her PJs with a cup of coffee. There's just nothing more beautiful. And so don't buy into all that baloney. Tom Wolfe in the 1970s wrote this about the baby boomers. He called, I'm a baby boomer, uh, he called us the me generation, right? <laughs> He was way off. That was the beginning of the me generation. It has gotten so much worse. But if the church, if Christians let culture shape us, we are pitiful people. We're miserable because we're trying to then fit Christianity into everything else. This explains miserable Christians. A lot of people think that Christians are miserable. <laughs> I love this. Please, I don't mean anything by this, but I love the fact that our churches for this area of New Jersey were fairly multicultural and multi-generational. But I like going to churches like in the city where I look very different than a lot of the other people and just listening to them sing because they're convinced Jesus is alive. I love it. They're, they're, just, they're like, wow, man, he's alive. He's alive, right? And they look at people like me like, he's alive, right? Because <laughs> so, I'm just so reserved and so ridiculously reserved sometimes. But if our culture is driving us to everything that we have to have and we don't have it, we're going to be what? Miserable. We're going to be miserable. What power will our Christianity have? Absolutely nothing. Over and over, we're talking about that Christians need to be loving people. Well, if I only love myself, how loving am I going to be? I will be striking out at the world's view of things and striking out at God's view of things. This is why the prosperity gospel has taken such root in our land. Because if it's always about being healthy and wealthy, that's about me. That's why it appeals to people when it's just a false gospel. Where do you see that in the Bible? You don't see the Apostle Paul going, hey, listen, I know that this will turn out for my health and my wealth. Not at all. He says it's going to turn out for my deliverance. That's why these personal passages are typically skipped. People are like, oh, we don't need to read that. But this is a guy telling you, this is how I look at life. This is how I can tell you that I can sit in a jail cell and I can be full of joy because I'm identifying with my Savior. Listen to this bizarre statement. This is bizarre. 2 Corinthians 6.10, the Apostle Paul says this, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I mean, that's oil and water, right? It just doesn't mix. This guy has a life so full of pain, but he says that he rejoices. Why? Because he identifies with Christ. He identifies with the Jesus Christ of the Gospels, not the Jesus Christ of other religions, and suffering has actually brought him closer to Jesus. Remember we talked about that last time. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Let God use it to bring you closer to the Lord. And so knowing about the life, 
the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will only learn that through reading your Bible, not watching the Discovery Channel. Knowing about his life, death, resurrection, the Apostle Paul is optimistic of his deliverance whether he's freed from prison or Caesar says, off with his head. How dare he go tell another people there's another king other than me? He says, either way, I'm fine. Either way, I'm delivered. You know what he actually believes? We read it, verse 6. He actually believes that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He actually, he's applying it. He wrote to the Romans, Romans 8, 28, that God works together all things together for good. Not in spite of all the difficulty, but he works it all together for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. You know, he wrote that, he actually believes it. I know some of you think like, I wish I was a pastor because it would be easy. I would just get up there and talk and I would believe everything I say. Do you know how often I say things that I sense this little voice going, you should listen to that. Get a copy of the message. Like we said before, we think it's easier for the people in the Bible. Oh, listen, hey, it's easy for him, you know. He's an apostle, he's in jail, what's the big deal? You know? Husbands, what do you do when you get a little cut? Honey, I need a Band-Aid. That's what we do. He has such a different perspective. He doesn't fear the outcome. Who does he fear? The Lord. He doesn't fear the outcome. He actually believes God can handle it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you doubt God can handle your problems? We all do, right? That's part of being unbelieving believers. We struggle with our problems. Do you believe God is in control? Well, yeah, it sounds good coming out of your mouth, right? You tell your friends, oh, God is in control. (laughs) Sounds so spiritual. Then somebody says it to you and you want to punch their lights out. Why? Because we don't believe it. He believed that God was with him. We were just singing about it, weren't we? We were just singing about it. He believes God will strengthen him. He believes all of the things that we sing about. Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't walk up and down the road telling us who can sing and who can't? You can't sing that song. You don't believe that. Keep your finger in Philippians 1 and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, page 1058. 2 Timothy is the apostle's last letter. We're going to see next week. He's really not entirely sure what's going to go down with the Philippian letter. He thinks he's going to go back. He thinks he's going to live through this one. But in 2 Timothy 4, he's like, this is it. This is it. Often called his swan song, his last letter. And look at one of the last things he writes, verse 17. He says this. He writes to Timothy. Listen, he knows this. Why did he write this? So Timothy would be encouraged. And also who would be encouraged? You. Elbow your neighbor. You. (laughs) Right? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how a man has joyful perspective 
in pressure, he stands on the word of God and believes what God will do what he said, despite what it might look like. Number two, joyful perspective in prayer. We're still in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. We just covered that. And then he makes a very interesting and, in my opinion, countercultural statement. He says, through your prayer. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love Radio, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. We are excited that you joined us today, and we hope and pray that you will join us again next time as we continue to learn more about Jesus verse by verse in the book of Philippians. If you would like a copy of today's message on CD, simply contact us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills at 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the copy of the correct teaching. You can also write us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or send an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. Don't worry if you haven't been able to write that information down. Simply log on to www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you'll find all the information to listen to this message again or receive your own copy. You can also give securely to help Changed by Love Radio share the good news of Jesus Christ. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of Philippians. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time here on Changed by Love.